Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. We're glad that you're here. This is our final episode for 2020, and in Theology in the Dirt, we want to try to put our theology at work in our homes, in the public square of our cities and the world. And so I'm Mitchell Jolly. And I'm Keith Thompson. And we're glad to be hanging out with you today. So we hope you enjoy this last episode. We're going to take a month and a half off. We'll come back in January and we will hit a new season of Theology in the Dirt. But until then, we've got some things we want to talk about today. We want to talk about coronavirus, conspiracy theories, some politics and God's sovereignty and all those things. But before we do, um, some pressing sports questions. Now, we recognize there are people listening who don't watch American football. They're in (laughs) other parts of the world. And when they hear football, they think soccer. Yeah, soccer. Soccer. (laughs) So not here. That's a soccer is not real football. It's pretend football. There go a whole (laughs) slew of listeners. There go half of our I hear them leaving the room. Yes, yes. There's the air being sucked out of the room. Mm -hmm. But in real football, American football, we have two phenomena going on right now. The Atlanta Falcons have um, righted the ship. They're 3-1 and under the interim head coach, Raheem Morris. So, Keith, what happens? How do you go from 0-and-whatever to 3-and-1? Well, that's a good question. So I, I coach high school football part-time, so that means I am an expert. You're an expert. At number one in football and number two in coaching. I don't coach football, and you do, so yeah, you are more yeah. expert than me. So tell me. So um, I don't know, man. It, it's it's interesting to think that at that level, guys who are that skilled, they've they've been to every camp you can imagine. They, they know their job. They know how football works. That a coach, a man, could come in and make a difference, but I believe that he can. Yeah. And so you and I have talked about this. I think the um, the intensity level at a practice and how a coach runs a practice has everything to do with how well these guys perform on Sundays or Saturdays, for that matter, or Friday nights, depending on what level you're at. Right. But, yeah, I think um, there, there's a strategy for practice that works. You look at a guy like Saban and some of these other guys that consistently get it right year over year with a completely different group of folks. That's right. And so, yeah, I think he must have switched some stuff up at practice. Yeah. And I think it's paying off in the game, the way these guys are able to perform. He has taken, in some cases, not the same guys because some are hurt. Mm -hmm. He's got second and third teamers out there playing, and they're getting the job done. And so I read somewhere where he limited their their reps in practice to one on mm. each thing because they only get one shot in a game. So they don't run it till they get it perfect because you don't get to do that in the game. And so they run first team, first team, and you get one shot, and they've had to up their intensity. And so mm. I read where someone said they're uncomfortable. And so discomfort in practice leads to comfort in the game, I yeah. guess. you know. It's a, I mean, it is mental. There's so much of the game that if you some sort of switch gets flipped in your brain. Yeah. Because of a new leader or because of whatever, and suddenly, you know, momentum changes. That's right. Well, they say uh, in in United States Special Forces, the only easy day was yesterday. And mm-hmm. the goal of that is to make the real thing uh, feel easier mm-hmm. than practice. Yeah. And so in, in sports, if practice is hard, it makes the game more enjoyable because it's less hard. Yeah. And so maybe maybe they're uncomfortable and now they're performing. 
Something's working. Yeah, something's working. We'll take it. Last thing is our quarterback situation at the University of Georgia. Um, Stetson Bennett was a great story for about three weeks. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're, we're throwing picks now, and this isn't pretty. So uh, is a quarterback really that important? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that – it definitely he he definitely is important, um, and I'm not throwing stones at, at Stetson. No. I mean, he, he's he's a hundred times better than anything I could ever do. But the fact is, at that level, you got to have the guy who doesn't make many errors. He sees the field like other people don't. Right. And um, those guys are out there. And then and like there's there's the guy, and then there's the offense that you're trying to put him into, and that has to be a match. Yeah, that's right. And so it's it's not as easy as it seems to look at a guy play for four years in high school. Right. And because he was great there, bring him in and think he's going to be great. Right. But I spoke with a guy recently who um, who played D1 football uh, at a very high level, uh, actually played for Coach Spurrier. He told me that there was, a, there was a player on their team, a quarterback, who in practice just was not a very good player. Mm. He just, for whatever reason, he, yeah. didn't, he didn't perform well in practice. Right. You put him in the game. Because of an injury or a couple of injuries, and suddenly it's a completely different ball game. Mm. Something's happening inside of his head right. at the game that's not happening otherwise. And the guy ended up going to play professional football in the in the league, and but you you can't predict it. No, you can't predict it. And isn't that wild? You have guys that are made to perform on the stage when it counts, and then guys when it counts they freeze. Yeah. So what is that brain chemistry that goes at practice? I know this doesn't matter, and I'm just here. But when the lights turn on. I'm an animal. Flip yeah. the switch. That that's that's interesting to me. Can you wire that? Can yeah. you teach that? That would be some sports psychology. Yeah, that's knows. right. Well, some of that. You know, we talked about this just now about practice. There's a there's a, so much of the game is mental, right? And you can't judge that with a with a combine, right? Like how fast, how high do you jump, how much can you lift? None of that can be measured. That's right. It's all game performance in the past, right? And um, but yeah, it's it's a, there's a lot about it's it's just like our life. It's a, we're about to talk about we talk about theology in the dirt, right? What's going on inside your brain and how you're seeing things, right? Matters. Hey, yes. even on a football field on Sunday, it does absolutely. or Saturday or Saturday or Friday, <laughs> yeah. it matters. That's right. Well, Keith, we got some heavy topics now. Each of these could be a an episode in themselves. Mm-hmm. So we're going to hit them and move and probably leave people with some thoughts. I hope we'll leave them with some thoughts. So hopefully give them a framework to think a little bit in theology. We're mm-hmm. talking about God, uh, yep. the study of God. And we're particularly referencing the God of the Bible. We're Christians. We've been clear about that. And we want to look at these from a Christian perspective mm-hmm. as best we possibly can. We recognize we're broken. We're fallen. I'm skewed in my perspective. But as best we can, coronavirus, conspiracy theories, politics, and God's sovereignty. So Keith... Coronavirus. Everybody knows this year has been shaped by the Rona. Yeah. So how how do we come as Christians to this issue of a virus, a pestilence? How are we seeing that? Yeah. And how do we interpret what has happened in our world with the coronavirus? Well, we live in a fallen world, so there are things such as viruses, things that you can't see that are invisible and will kill you. Like 400 years ago, Folks would have said you were crazy to say there are things on your hands right now. They're invisible. They're right. literally invisible, <laughs> right. but they can kill you. Folks would say, have you lost your mind? No, there there are things out there in a fallen world that, that can get us because the world's broken. That's and right. the, the Christian worldview has a clear and easy answer for that. Um, it's That's because right. of sin. So sin, right. sin broke the world, and now we have to deal with all sorts of things that, that come at us. Some of it is moral evil. And some of it's natural evil. A coronavirus is a form of natural evil. 
mm-hmm. that has come against us because we're fallen and the world's fallen. And so that's that's part of the answer. Um, so I'll I'll bat it back to you and yeah. say, well, that's that's something that that if you're a if you're a secular person or if you have a world a different worldview, may not be able to answer it that easily. But the the Christian worldview has an answer for what um, why nasty things happen like that in a world that that right. just doesn't seem right. Right. I think one of the things I have. I've seen woefully uh, a woeful a woefully inadequate amount of information on is our last topic that lens applied to the coronavirus the sovereignty of God and just a quick backstory the the thing God used in my life is Isaiah forty six ten and eleven from the east I summon a bird of prey and from mm-hmm. a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose that I had planned I will bring about and that I will do. God used that passage in me as a young Christian, barely a year old in the faith, to really shape how I was seeing what was happening in my life vocationally. And I couldn't escape this sense of call to what I began to pursue. Uh, and, and, and God's sovereignty over those things, even the birds of the air and people to fulfill His purpose, has really shaped uh, my life and my framework of thinking. When I come to the coronavirus, uh, what I feel like is lacking in a lot of discussion is the sovereignty of God over pestilence. Mm-hmm. When I read the scriptures, I find that, yes, pestilence is a natural evil. It is a natural evil, and it's because we live in a broken world. But what I don't find is that God has in any way left those things outside of right. His control. Mm-hmm. Now, to the, de- the degree to which um, his hand is in, on, or simply moving evil hands in and on, mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I can't put the microscope down on top of that and 100% identify causation, mm-hmm. like down in the dirt causation. But what I do know is pestilence isn't running around apart from the sovereignty of God, right? whatever that looks like. And so... Then the question comes, well, then why would, why would that happen? Why would God do that? Well, when you read the Old Testament, man, God sends pestilence as judgment. Um, I mean, Isaiah even says whether for love or for, or for sovereign purposes to bring judgment, God's hand does it. And my Lord, I think, well, if the coronavirus is either God sent it or he sent it through the hands of evil means, either one, Job, right? Job looked at what happened to him, and, and, and Job put it on God. Shall we receive good for Clearly. God and not mm-hmm. evil? And then we want to argue. We want to say, but Job, you, you missed chapter 1 and 2, <laughs> where <laughs> Satan was the one that brought it. And the author, Job, clearly states right after that, in all that Job said, he didn't sin with his mouth. Mm. It was no sin for Job to put it on God, even though Satan was the means by which it came. Yeah, And Keith, that... that still rocks my world because it was no sin for Job to say what he said. But I guarantee you, if one of us, me, I won't put this on you, says that God sent the coronavirus, we're going to be tagged something. Yeah, I'm going to be tagged. So I won't put that on you. But I can't, with my worldview, say that the coronavirus just happened and God was like, oh my gosh, how did this world spin out of control without me knowing it? Mm-hmm. My, my worldview won't let me say that. Yeah, mine won't either. And um, that's like you said, you, it's straight out of the scriptures that shows that the Lord is behind all this stuff. Right. And it, it does, it gets into sort of God's sovereignty versus uh, man's responsibility. But the truth is, God did all sorts of weird things in the Bible because he's got an end, he's got an end game 
and the world's moving toward that end game. That's right. And the good news is for us, even in the midst of the devastation and the, the awful things that are happening with a thing like the coronavirus, folks are dying, families are, are affected and, and um, yeah, not destroyed, but just really, it's, it's awful. Right. But because God has a bigger end game than right. this life, our worldview says, you know, our our ultimate joy is with Him in heaven in a place where there is no virus right. and there is no, um, there are no tears and, and that kind of thing. And as long as we can see the world that way, then we know that, look, if if my, my mom, who, who lives with us and um, is 80 years old, and she doesn't live with us, but she lives right next door to us and is independent, but she got the virus. Right. She did really well, but then she, there, was a, there was a minute in there where she, we didn't know if she was going to be okay or not, and she rallied, and she's fine now. Yeah. But even in the midst of that, she knew that she was okay regardless. Yeah. I knew she was okay regardless. Right. And you, you deal with the human part of, of dealing with that kind of tragedy. But right. the truth is, from a believer's perspective, that virus has no control over us. You know, death doesn't have any sting in this right. life for us. That's right. And even if we believe that God did that to her. Right. By whatever means you want to, whatever, you know, whatever agency you want to build, you're comfortable with. Right. If it was by God's hand that I or my mom or someone passes to achieve a greater good in the end, we know that's righteous. That's right. And we, and I think that's part of, you think about Abraham going up the mountain with Isaac. Part of the whole business of putting your faith in Christ, becoming a believer, is about that kind of trust. Yes. Like, do you trust him enough to, to just lay in front of him the things that matter most to you in this life and just go, I know that whatever he does, he's going to do this for my good. That's right. Even the suffering that comes. I mean, it, it, I don't even like to talk about that. I'm not interested in suffering. No, I, I, I want none of that. <laughs> yeah. But the other part of even having these conversations, God knows my heart. God knows I don't want to suffer. That's right. Yeah. He know God isn't sitting up there going, "Oh, Thompson said suffering. I'm going to see if he's telling the truth." Boom, you right? Know? Right. Now he did that to Joe, but I don't. Right. I, God, I just feel like God doesn't work that way. Yeah, absolutely. He knows me. He knows my heart. Yeah. He knows what I mean. And what all I'm saying is, I trust him with everything. Yeah, that's right. And 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 that idea that God is responding to me in heaven like that puts God in a category of open theism, that God is simply responding to stimulus as opposed to seeing all of history with one view and Mm -hmm. internal perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, we would go, biblically, God sees all of history at one time from an eternal perspective. And open theism, if people don't know what that is, this idea that God doesn't know and He simply responds. He's sovereign in the sense of He can make things happen, but He doesn't know what's going to happen beforehand. We would look at that and say heresy. Yeah. There's a great contingency of people who believe that. So this idea that 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 God's saying, oh, Thompson said he's not afraid to suffer, watch this, would be in a category of aberrant theology mm-hmm. that we would go hogwash. Yeah. But you're, this truth that from all of eternity, God's working for my good if I'm in Christ. I can look at all the difficulty. My sister had the coronavirus. Touch and go. Um, we've both lived through hard stuff. Yeah. Touch and go. And and recognize that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Mm-hmm. And so I believe He's working for my good. It doesn't feel like it right now, but sure. I believe it. And so I'm going to operate in faith, believing that come what may, whether it's pestilence or whatever. Psalm 91. 
right? <laughs> this beautiful truth that that without his good purpose, it won't touch me. Mm. But if it's his good purpose, he will let it touch me. Yeah, and you wouldn't want it otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. You, you may you may think you would want it otherwise. In <laughs> the right. moment, you may have chosen something different. That's Joseph. Right. That's right. Job, all that. That's right. You would have chosen something different. The good news for us is we don't get to choose that kind of thing for our lives. I can trust that the God of the universe, yep. who has my good in mind, is going to um, line up my life if I'm willing to submit. Right. Um, is going to is going to line up my life in such a way that that it's going to work out best for me. And this is um this is a worldview that that is utterly unique. Mm. to us yeah. when it comes to us being able to trust God because He's good and He it, and essentially He's just He's sovereign over our lives and yeah. we there is a personal responsibility to it but also um, God uh, loves us and He's going to care for us if we're His. That's right. I want to come back to Psalm 91 as we wrap up in the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility because in that psalm Satan quotes the scriptures to Jesus verbatim. He doesn't misquote them. Right, and he, but he, but he, gets he mis- it right. applies them, yeah. and that's going to help us, I think, see man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Okay. At least it, it helps me. So, coronavirus. There's so much more we could do. What about conspiracy theories? It with the coronavirus has been also because it's been an election year. Coronavirus, which is its own conspiracy theory, that it was manufactured or <laughs> right. depends on the conspiracy theory. Maybe we subscribe to it was manufactured for the purpose of. Defeating the mm-hmm. sitting president and helping another one get elected, or vice versa. <laughs> Conspiracy theories have seemed, they're not new to the world. Mm-mm. Matter of fact, the, the prophets, Jeremiah said, don't listen to these people who are saying conspiracy, conspiracy. Mm. So they're as old as history, right? Yeah. People are talking, Jeremiah, this is a conspiracy to overthrow the king. So he said, don't do that. He said, don't do that. So we can go talk that even even there, but conspiracy theories seem to be swaying an awful lot of Christians thinking on things. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I love conspiracy theory documentaries, <laughs> like on Area 51 yeah. and all that stuff. I think it's fun. It's fascinating. But conspiracy theories can play havoc with our worldview. Yeah. So let, And I'm confessing, I love them. I like to read them. I like to listen to them. And I can get carried away, mm-hmm. but also have a mooring yeah. that yanks me back. There's fun reading. <laughs> Conspiracy theories can be fun reading. So what are they doing to our thinking? What, How important are they in maybe in shaping our theology? Well, conspiracy theory, what is it? It's, it's someone's conspiring. Right. right? So there's, there's some sort of intent. Right. There's a, there's a person or a group of people right. who are trying to do something. Right. In this, in this notion of a conspiracy theory, the theory is that somebody's doing it. That's right. I've got this notion that there's a person or a group of people out there conspiring to convince me of something. They're right. trying to either manipulate me or they're trying to give me the truth. Yeah. It could be, it could go either way. It could go either way. That's right. And although conspiracy theories have been around forever, right? They, they're more... Um, they're more insidious now because of the level of information that's coming to us. That's right. I was thinking about this on the way over here. Uh, in 1800, if I was at the local store having a conversation about, you know, whether um, Jefferson or Adams are going to be elected, somebody's going to give me some information that I've never heard before. That's right. And I'm going to go, what? Like, <laughs> 
Where did you I, get? That? I was going to vote for that guy, right. and he—he's really. That's what's going on up there in Washington, which may as well be another planet, right? If you're, you know, more than about two hundred miles away. Yeah. And basically, you either believe it or you don't believe it based on the credibility of the guy or the lady that you're talking to. But information has always been coming at human that's human right. beings, but now, um, now we we think we've got the ability to to sift through some of that because we have so much access to information. Well, the guy said this happened. Well, I can go online. I can fact check this, fact check that. But the truth is, particularly now, I've realized that after this election, it is so difficult it is. to get to the truth. Fact checks may be wrong. You got Who's going to fact check the fact checker? Right. Because everybody, and here it is, everybody's got an agenda. Yeah. Everyone is trying to... Yeah. Um, everybody's trying to... Yeah. Um, negotiate or to influence your opinion. Yeah. There's no such thing as benign information. There is no neutral news source. None. That's right. Yeah, we can criticize CNN or MSNBC or Fox or whoever or whomever. Um, but the truth is everybody is going to tell a story from a perspective, and it right. is nearly impossible to do it completely from a neutral position. So as we're hearing conspiracy theories, and um, and we've all— We've all had that bit of truth dropped on us that we look looking back, we, we said, I should have seen that. I should have seen that coming. Right. The, the, all the information was there. Right. If I had just been paying attention, I could have known that. You know, the, the neighbor who turns out to be a mass murderer. You're like, man, you just seem like a nice guy. And then you start thinking about it. It's like, well, there was that. And then there was, you start realizing. So we're when we hear about stuff like conspiracy theories. Right. We know that things have come to us that we wouldn't have believed otherwise. That's right. But in retrospect, we go, man, that was true. So it just it makes us vulnerable. It does make us vulnerable. To these theories. It does, which is, which is where I, I find that my view of God and the world helps me to put on a filter and take in information. And, and even that doesn't filter out all of it. Like There still is a an interpretive factor. Mm-hmm. I think something, we had a conversation, uh, at, we were eating some Dos Bros, and hey, if Dos Bros wants to sponsor us, or give <laughs> yeah, you a shout on. out, come on. Good stuff. Yes, good stuff. We're eating Dos Bros, <clears throat> and, and the boys had been reading some stuff online, and one of them brought up the Q Anon mm-hmm. conspiracy stuff, which our representative, which I guess we'll have to vote on in January for a runoff, Marjorie Taylor Greene, mm-hmm. is a big advocate for the Q she spoke about it publicly. Okay. All right. Um, and 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 what I had to describe to my boys is even the title of this supposed insider who's Source. leaking yeah. this information carries a Christian theme. Now, you know, you've been in New Testament classes. Q is the supposed source that Matthew, Mark, and Luke used in some maybe left-leaning New Testament scholarship that says... There was a primary source. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, their stories couldn't match so closely. So they're all pulling from a primary source. They don't know what that source is, but mm-hmm. German scholarship said it was Q. And I think Kell, Kvel, I don't know how to speak German, <laughs> but it was German theory. And this Q is Kell or Kvel. Somebody please correct me. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. My I had a New Testament um, professor who was Austrian, and he said it perfectly. Dr. Uh-huh. Siegfried Schatzman, he's brilliant. And Dr. Schatzman must say it so well. Okay. But Q is this unnamed source that was the source of all the stuff that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, the synoptics wrote. And so whoever is propagating this and these online sources has taken a mm. Christian 
scholarship theory and applied it to their name, which has appealed to people who are aware mm. that perhaps this is a holy war, that this is the Christian perspective. And in my opinion, it has sucked Christians mm. into believing some things that they are not questioning. And even the name Q subconsciously is a is taking some stuff and and I think pillaging some people's worldview. Very interesting. Yeah. I I'd never I hadn't put that together. Yeah, and and so I think I think one of the things conspiracy theories do is they play to our need for meta narrative. Mm. We are wired for meta narrative. We are all searching for the story that gives us the meaning of our life. Mm. And in a naturalistic world that we live in, we've been pillaged of a of a meta narrative. Yeah. This is the big dirt nap, man. Get it all here, because when you die, it's over. Get everything you can. It's all hinging on this now. And the Bible says, no, it's not. Yeah. It's really not. And I think conspiracy theories at the core vie for our desire for for meta narrative, which is mm-hmm. why we like good fiction stories, which is why Lewis and Tolkien's fantasy tales so pull us in. Yeah. They they make us long for that. I think conspiracy theories in a, in a very dark way, appeal to that part of our soul that says, I want to be part of something bigger. Yeah, yeah. And there's a competing meta-narrative, and God says, you are, and it's found in Christ. Yeah. So conspiracy theories have been special to me this season. We have a lot of talks about them in my house because I see they even pull my son's imaginations in. Well, they're everywhere. You they know, are. now they're they're circulating. There's a new theory for every moment, right? There's conspiracy theories going on right now about... What's happening with elections? Yes, um, and you don't. It's just hard. You, you try. Right. I, I am a person who really believes that um, politics matter. Absolutely. And that um, the decisions that we make from a political sphere have massive impacts on on um, how the kingdom progresses forward. I know God's in charge of all that, but um, it's important for me to try to get to the truth. Absolutely. And it's just really tough. I mean, you you, you hear a story that seems compelling, but that's the nature. Of a conspirist, conspirist, yes. yeah. is that they can take you know forty eight bits of information and craft them together in a way, even though they're completely unrelated, absolutely, and put them together in a way that you go, whoa, yeah, never saw that, yeah, absolutely, um, and and you even have now with technology the ability, and, and I'm actually uh, uh, seen seen this uh, actually on another listen to it on another uh, podcast, Joe Rogan, I think Rogan mm-hmm. podcast, they're three hours. I don't listen to them all in one sitting. And I don't recommend everybody who listens to us go listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. Mm-hmm. They're not um, they're not suitable for young listeners. Right. <laughs> and you don't need to watch them probably or listen to them because the language is coarse and rough. But one of the reasons people are attracted to Rogan uh, is because he just tells you what he thinks. Yeah. Right, wrong, indifferent, crazy, off the charts, weird, it doesn't matter. He's weird. And but he's frank about what he thinks. Uh-huh. I think people are, and he's bold about it. I think it's attractive. I, yeah. I like listening to him. But one of the one of his people, one of his guests, just displayed how you can splice together audio clips of people and make them say something in words they've used that they never actually said. <laughs> and so there are audio and video clips of people speaking things they never said because they've been spliced together by people in the background who want to make them appear a certain mm. way. And, and and put them into a narrative of a theory that's not real. Yeah. And and there's really no way to know that. But there are some there's some technology that can figure that stuff out, but it's so good that it's compelling. Yeah. And that kind of stuff makes me go, geez, am I even hearing? Is what I heard 
factual in that that person actually said that. Yeah. It might not be. As I hear you saying that, it makes me think about just personal relationships because people are going to say all sorts of things about us. Right. They're going to say things that aren't true. They're going to say something that we said that we actually did say, but they're going to twist it out of context to a point. And yeah. so what's important, you think about politics or um, you, you want to live your life. I think that the scriptures life in such a way that when someone tells a lie about you, no one believes it. That's right. Even if someone goes, wow, he said that? Right. And that doesn't sound like him. That My experience with him isn't that he would be like that. That's right. That's our only shield against someone painting us into a light that's not us because we don't, we can't, I can't control what Joe and Sally and Sue and Bob say about me while I'm not around. Right. But I can try to live my life. And I think what the Bible calls us to do is live our life in such a way that it's just hard to believe against the mounting evidence that I wouldn't do something like that. That's right. Not to say that all of us are are fallen. Right. But people may tell me something about you that I'm just going to, I'm going to completely reject it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't care. I don't care what you, that is not true about yeah. Mitch John. Yeah. I've known him long enough. Yeah. That's just, you know, I'm not saying Mitch is perfect, but that isn't going on. Yeah. You know, and right. so we, I think that's part of how do we defend ourselves against conspiracy theories? Yeah. Um, is you live your And so as a, as a politician, right. You look at our president. Our president has lived his life in a certain way. Yeah. That would make things very believable. Yeah, that's right. Even if he didn't say them, there's enough out there on the internet to make you go. Well, that's po- not only possible, it's or plausible. It's possible and likely. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that's right. That can be so damaging, right, to someone's ability to lead or someone's ability to have constructive relationships. Is right. You know, every word that you say matters, Absolutely. and you know whether you're telling the truth matters, and all yeah. that matters. Yeah, and so. when you have relationships that are in place. People will testify to you, and enough testimony to the positive makes people go, well, we all know that was a lie. Yeah. You know, and so you're right. Relationships are vital. And when those are called into question, then perhaps the conspiracy theories carry weight. Yeah. Uh, we could do more there, but let's move on to politics. We're both, we both love politics. We think it's important. Mm-hmm. So um, the debate on what is good, I don't think we've ever been more polarized uh, than perhaps dating back to whether or not we should rebel against Great Britain, because that wasn't a... I mean, you you might be able to argue that there were more who thought we should stay loyal to the mm-hmm. crown than there were who people people who believe we should we should uh, have a Continental Congress and, yeah. and and move away, and then the Civil War. So this isn't unprecedented. We're not at war, but we are definitely in polarized times. Mm-hmm. But it's not unprecedented in our country, and the debate is what's better. What's good? Mm-hmm. That's that's the essence of politics. We did a whole podcast on it. So when it comes to politics, Keith, what's the remedy for us right now in our time? We have polarized. We're we're North Pole, South Pole, mm-hmm. very little in between. How do we approach politics as Christians? Oh goodness, that's such a big question. Um, we approach we approach politics, which is how we're going to live together. How we how we're going to live together in a way that that leads to flourishing, flourishing for us as a community. Yeah. And then flourishing for me individually, it's got to go back to the scriptures. Yeah, uh, there's all sorts of fake news out there about what's how a person ought to live. Right. Um, the I would say that in the worldview sense, fake news are false religions. False religions are fake news about the big story yeah. of creation and ultimate destiny. Right. We've got the scriptures, so we've got to anchor 
our worldview to the scriptures. And you and I are going to have a conversation, whether it's with a secular person or a religious person or any other person. Um, and you and I are going to hit an issue coming from it's rooted in anchor to scripture. Right. So we're going to try to have that conversation. Well, uh, what is good clearly has to be defined by something. If you're secular, you say what's good. Well, what's good is going to be the greatest good to the most number of people. Well, that means the majority wins. If you're in Nazi Germany, in a certain group of people, the greatest good for the most number of people is to get rid of the Jews. Right. We Deep down inside, right. those guys believed that's what was necessary if the world was going to flourish. Right. Well, we got... No, that, that's crazy. Yeah. You got to be anchored to something more transcendent than that, something right. separate from man's ideas. That's right. And so we would obviously answer this is people who listen to this podcast are like, yeah, they've talked about this all the time, but it's got to be anchored to the scripture. But how you anchor it to scripture is super important because you can come to different uh, conclusions. You can draw different conclusions right. using the scriptures on issues that are super important. So I'll bat this back to you. I think. Because you never get everything. Politics right. is a matter of uh, compromise. It is. There, there's no way. When, when uh, in 2016, a person won the presidency and they, they, they lost the popular vote by like 2 million. Right. So, you know, this election, you got like 150 million people voting. There's a 4 million difference. Right. And out of 150 million. Right. You clearly aren't going to get your way all the time That's right. in a world like that. So right. what you have to do is you have to prioritize. Yep. There is no way around it. Right. Everybody has to say, these are the 10 issues that affect our world yeah. out of the 100 that we could list. These 10 are most important for, for a nation, for a state, for a community, for a county. These are the three that matter most to me, the five that matter most to me. And you have to anchor that to Scripture in good conscience and then you have to move forward like that. That's the only way I know. But but I'm not hopeful, honestly. Right. That there's going to be a great amount of unity right. um, outside the church. I do have different expectations inside the church. I do. Yeah. I agree with you. I have different expectations for us. My fear is watching um, watching parties co-op Christianity, particularly the fringes of Christianity. Um, you and I can look, we can look at that and, and we see that as fringe. Mm. The problem with the community at large doesn't see that as fringe. They see that as just Christianity. And I'm thinking in particular too, I'm just call their names, Paula White and Kenneth Copeland. Mm. Watch the two, the, the memes now made out of their post-election rants. Copeland is just laughing, laughing because God's going to get the last word and he's going to make sure that this president gets the votes he needed because it's all been stacked against him okay. and literally standing in the pulpit laughing like a hyena out loud because the principalities and powers cannot win. And then Paula White flat out prophesying, <laughs> yeah. saying, this will not stand. This will not stand. This will not stand. Calling the angels from Africa to come and surround this president. And I'm first, the first thing that comes to mind is Jesus in Matthew 6. Do not pray like the pagans because they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Mm. And then watching this supposed pastor, Christian, who's in the president's circle, abusing Jesus' words on prayer, using prayer, and their words not coming to pass, and the world looking at them and making fun. Yeah. And lumping you and me mm-hmm. into that. Mm-hmm. First, it infuriates me. Mm. Okay. I can't. I have had to exercise self control on social media because the people that would we would think are on our teams are in 
reposting this trash yeah. as though it matched our worldview. And so I, my hope is low. My expectation for us as Christians is higher. My hope is low that it is higher yeah. because of this lack of theological understanding of the application of our faith to the issue of politics, where our role is not to be co-opted, but to stand above and say, thus says the Lord God. Mm-hmm. Paul White, you're in sin. You're praying, like, you're praying like an unbeliever. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stop representing him in that fashion. It's demonic. Yeah, <laughs> And so well, it, I may get hate mail, but my hope is that when we come to this issue as Christians, we would rise above it a little bit and put ourselves in a position to speak prophetically yeah. to everyone. This is God's perspective. And do so with class and dignity in such a manner that they'll go, you're full of crap, but hey, I respect you. Yeah. Well, it's it's theology, man. It, her, she has a very different theology than you and I do. She she, what she believes about who God is, what yeah. she believes about prayer and how, how prayer works, what she believes about revelation, yeah, and where it is that she can get a word from God, yeah, is outside of what we would say you it's get a word from God. It's completely different from what you and I believe, and we we've we've got we've got reasons in the scriptures that we could spend lots of times to talk about how that's damaging, and this is an example of how when you get outside of what I believe is historic. Orthodox Christianity about where we get revelation from God. Right. This is a natural, um, out you know, outflowing yeah. of that sort of deal. Like I have heard from the Lord. Yeah. And this is what He's told me. Listen, dude. There are people I respect and love who say, "Yeah, that's right. Yeah. God does that." Yeah. And and they're going to listen to her and say, and they, but not because they they're they've got some sort of crazy. The political agenda. They no. They've been hearing this in the pulpit from their pastors for right. years, from their parents for years. That God does this. They believe it. Right. It's crazy to me because the scriptures are clear that the first time a person does that and their prophecy is wrong, right. they're excluded. They should be stoned to death. According right. To the yeah, law. According to the Old Testament, like if God's still doing that to the prophets. Yeah. Those prophets got stoned when they missed it. Right. Like, do you want to try that? I mean, I'm not interested yeah, in that. Yeah, I'm not interested in that. But right. you're right, man. And that's that's the that's the the um the the awful nature of the enemy and the way he tries the way he, one of his strategies right. to come in and discredit Christ, right. discredit the Bible, and discredit the God of creation. Right. Is that he takes a perversion of <clears throat> the truth and then brings it in this way and. I, you, you know, you criticize. You can criticize Trump. You can criticize every president ever. Right. Has has welcomed people into their office yeah. that you and I to. both would say nutcase. Right. Whether it's Bush or, right. or Clinton or whoever. Right. They they want to have spiritual advisors in there because they know that people in this country right. believe in those people. Right. Various ones. Well, it's one of the ways you have to somehow figure out how to compromise. You have right. to show the world. And your constituents said, "I'm listening yeah. to this person. I'm listening to that person." Well, and and if if, if Donald, if, if you're in your office one day preparing for the sermon on Sunday, you're reading right. out of the Psalms, and your phone rings, and it's a representative of Donald Trump, right? And the person says, "Look, we've heard about you. The president knows who you are, yep. and he wants to speak to you." Do you go, man? That guy's a loser. I know what he does. He's a womanizer. He's got bad language. I'm not coming, right? I wouldn't do that. No. I'd go. You'd go. Absolutely. I'd go and say, Lord, 
This is all. I didn't ask for this. I don't have any interest in going to Washington and having a conversation with the president. Right. But if he calls me, I'm going. Absolutely. Now, what's going to happen is people are going to find out I went. Right. And now I'm that guy. Right. I'm the guy that's colluding and, sure. and I, I'm yeah. cohorting with the president, with Donald Trump. And I, I, I affirm everything he's ever done. Right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the guy just like I would go have lunch with any other person, no matter how wretched. Right. And no matter what they've done, if they called me and said, look, man, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Right. I'd go have coffee with them. Absolutely. Nobody I would say no to. Right. So um, and it's I think so confusing. It is confusing. And I think there are a few in our in, in our evangelical history who've done that well. And I think it's easy to throw rocks at them. I think Billy Graham did that well. Yeah. You, depending on who you listen to, you people tell you compromise his faith. And then other people will tell you he faithfully represented the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, just I, I want to be careful and not drop names, so I'm not going to do that. But I know enough people that good information lets me know he he kept the role of prophet. Sure, he knew how to fit in, mm-hmm. and he knew how to say what he needed to say. But it never stopped him from speaking the truth. Yeah, the he did it in a certain him, way for yeah, sure. And he, who let him in his circle because they trusted him. But he never shied away from thus says the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so there's a distinction between doing that well and then abusing it for, I, I can't judge people's motives, but bringing shame on the name of Christ. At least from Billy Graham's perspective, he was faithful to the scriptures. Right. Although some said he's not. But those who knew him knew better mm. because of the relationship as you mm. talked about. And so... And so I, I would like to think if I got invited into that circle, I would be that one that probably nobody heard of right. and probably got kicked out of because I rebuked everyone <laughs> right. privately if necessary. Yeah. But I spoke the word of the Lord faithfully and they knew I loved them and cared about them, but I wasn't going to stand for yeah. things that stood outside the scriptures and likely would be never known, which would be good, likely. Well, the, the folks that you've already mentioned and the way they behaved in public about what's about to happen right. and what God's doing in the middle of this election and all that. Right. They're, they're, they have a long history of doing similar things on yeah. a number of other That's right. topics that That's don't have anything to do with politics. Things that you and I both would go, that's just crazy. Right. That is not the God. That's not Yahweh. Yeah. Whoever it is they're describing. Right. And so that's why it's so important that... Um, it's just important. Every single believer is going to show up before God and answer for what it is that they know about Him. Yeah. God's going to say, "I gave you an entire, I gave you an entire book of Revelation." That's right. It was for you to know and learn best you can or could with the advice of other people that you trusted. Right. But there's going to be just a whole bunch of folks that are going to, I feel like, are going to come before the Lord, and because they didn't, they didn't work at all to discern whether or not the person they were listening to for the past five years was feeding them nonsense right. or was feeding them actual truth from the Scriptures. That's right. And I, there's a, I'm going to be preaching this Sunday on discipleship, and I'm, there's, I'm going to be preaching from um, Proverbs 2. And in, in Proverbs 2, the wisdom is coming from God to us saying, listen, there's understanding that can be had, yeah. but you'd better long for it like you long for treasure. If you don't long for it like you long for treasure, you likely won't get it. You may find yourself listening to someone mm. who's been giving you nonsense right. for 10 years. And because you just believed it, because you didn't honestly care enough 
to, to dig in and get the truth out of it. Right. Um, and it's cost you. Yeah. But that's those guys. I, I if if I could get in front of Copeland right now, he would give me all sorts of reasons why he believes what he's doing is right. Yeah. I think he's confused. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's confused, but absolutely. I've got to do the hard work. Yeah. That's of right. trying to dig in and see if he's right or not. That's right. I think what makes politics difficult for some some, and you and I may totally disagree on on this this component is. I have some issues that I'd die for. Mm. Marriage, defining marriage, uh, the sanctity of human life. Um, those things, I'll die on those hills. When I'm in the public, um, and I've, I've, I've filled this role for, um, for our city and our county mm-hmm. um, for 15 years, um, I have a choice to make. I can use that position to further my, and I do have an agenda as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Those things matter to me, and I'll fight for them. When I'm in this public position, am I going to cut off the influence I have for the sake of those issues, or am I going to achieve the mission at hand and provide a platform and a framework of which I can speak to those things with integrity and have voices that Mm -hmm. listen to me because of how I did it? I chose to go that route. I could sit in a board meeting and say, no, those people cannot be parents to this kid who needs a home because they do not share my view of marriage. Mm. Or I could say, how can I serve them better and get myself in their life to speak that? I chose that route Mm -hmm. because there is no way for me to be effective if I took that position. Doesn't mean I didn't have the position. I believe that's better for our society, who's better for our world. Mm. And I was never unclear about that. But when it came to serving, I was willing to, I'll bypass that end for another end because. If I can get you here to see and respect, I might have a greater ear to speak to you mm-hmm. on that later. And that's critiquable. I recognize yeah, it's sure. critiquable. It's not perfect. But if we're going to talk about what's better for our city and as Christians, we're going to engage. We have to decide what hills we're going to die on. When are we going to die on those hills? Uh, is it early on or is it later? And those are all critiquable. Yeah. But when it comes to politics, we have to decide what's better for our world, be willing to engage and let some things go and push some things forward and at any point in time be willing to die for what matters. Mm -hmm. And it's sticky. It's not clean and easy. But nonetheless, um, it's an issue that we have. We don't have an option. Yeah, the the key is in good conscience, engage. Yes. Get involved. Do what you can and do do your dead level best in in the sight of God and everybody to do what God has given you to do and, That's and right. the gifting that you have. But yeah, the option isn't. We don't get the option to sit back and do nothing. That's right. For sure. I'm going to have people who will sit in training. I'll do in the in this next year who who will be representing people doing work that Christians ought to be doing, but they're not Christians and they don't share my view of marriage. And I can train them, or I can say you can't be in here. Hmm. But if I say you can't be in here, what I'm going to miss is the opportunity to sneak. And, and some people don't like it, but I'm going to backdoor them with the gospel. Mm. It's it's coming out of me because that's who I am. Yeah. But I want them to have open ears to hear. And if I can in any way, by winsomeness, being genial and approachable, sneak that pebble in their shoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and they start limping on that pebble and go, oh, but dad, come if what that. That stuck in my soul. Mm-hmm. Pebble in the shoe is a good illustration for me. Yeah. Sometimes in those meetings, you, you can insert a verbal pebble in their proverbial shoe, mm-hmm. and they start limping on it, and they'll come back and go, I can't get past what you said. Help me unpack that. Mm. If I can sneak a pebble in their shoe, 
the Lord's sovereign yeah. with that. But the pebble's going to be there. That's right. <laughs> and the Lord put it in their shoe and make them limp. So politics, they're sticky, man. We could talk more. Uh, sovereignty of God overall, Keith. Um, is God sovereign, partly sovereign, or do we uh, do we determine ends? Who is the end determiner, and what's our role? Both. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Both of us are. Yes. Uh, that's this is a, a great question. It's something I'll struggle with till the till the day I die. Right. But I think every Christ, Christian struggles with it to some degree, and as it relates to to politics, you can find yourself either engaging in such a way that you feel like it's completely on you. Right. And if we don't get this, if we don't get this president right, right. it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Or you can find yourself throwing your hands up going, well, God's got it. I'm not even going to the polls. Right. Because he's already determined what's going to happen. And and I, I just don't think that the Bible allows us that there is, there's a logic in a logical sense. You have to end up in either place. Yeah. Like if you're thinking from a, just a regular <clears throat> full on, Maybe uh, uh, what, what a man could sort of dream up or whatever, then it, it almost seems inevitable to be on one side or the other. But then you read the scriptures, and the scriptures tell both stories. They do. And the stories, the story the scripture tells is beginning in Genesis one, God is completely aware of how this thing's going to end, right. and it's going to end in the way He wants it to end. Right. It doesn't depend on my decisions and your decisions right. to get it there. God's uh, power is total power, and it's total power over the end of the story. So, um, but it also tells the story that I have my own inclinations, yep. and my own inclinations matter. Yep. And so um, God elects me yep. to be one of His, yep. and I have to choose Him yeah. At the same time, I have a responsibility. And the scriptures are clear, and yeah. I'll be held responsible yeah. for the decisions. And that I, I, make. I guess in a podcast like this, where there's not time to talk about it ad nauseum because you could, books, volumes, and volumes have been written right. about this. Right. The thing that I've had to do in my life, and it, it was a major help for me, it was like one of the most major milestones in my life when I finally got to the place where I, where I realized God can do both of these at the same time. God is big enough yeah. to um, direct and, to some degree, however you define the word, control the end, and at the same time, give me enough agency in it to where I'm responsible for my behavior. Yeah. Um, both of those things can be true at the same time. Now, the question is, well, how in the world can that be true? I believe both of those things are true because the Bible describes it that way. The Bible describes me personally responsible for the decisions that I make. And it says over and over and over and over again, <laughs> like hundreds of times, right. that God did it. That's right. God did it. And I think it's mental gymnastics to try to go, no, it does say that, that he did it, but he didn't really do it. I know it says he did it, <laughs> right. but he didn't really do it. Right. That was... No, he did it, and I'm responsible, period. Now let's move forward. Which means in an election, God's in charge. He's going to make sure the guy, if, if I was there the day Joseph got sold into slavery, I'd be voting against it. Yep. I hope. Yeah. Maybe I would be what, like yeah. one of his brothers. Yeah. I, but the right I thing to do it, right? would have been to vote against it. Yeah. It's not right to enslave people. That's right. God saw fit that he needed to be enslaved. Yeah. 
And so that's how, and, and God uses mankind, man's, my inclinations, right. my own sin or my own righteousness to incline me to make a decision that I made, but he did it so that he knew that at some point the, the famine was coming. There needed to be a thing called an exodus. And that thing was going to face, it was going to shape human history from that day forward to the end. That's right. So there's my steel, man. No, that's Um, great. Jonathan Edwards' book, The Freedom of the Will, mm -hmm. uh, I think is, if you can philosophically plow through it, it's worth every amount of effort. Because I think he does a great job. I think he's wordy. He gets on my nerves, frankly. I don't like reading Edwards because he takes way too long to get from point A to point Mm -hmm. B. And and he it just anyway I'm not going to go on that rant I don't appreciate Edwards writing style uh, however he's philosophically impeccable mm-hmm. and how he describes what you just described helps me and yeah. so if anybody wants to go try that on feel free it's yeah, a great book the, the nature is of it is it's so complicated right. it's got to be spelled out in such yeah. tedious detail you have to to follow it logically yeah um, but man it takes enormous work to stay focused long enough right to to get through that but it's like you said it's it's brilliant <laughs> yeah just just get me there edward just get yeah, me come there come on dude but genesis 50:20 helps me yeah I absolutely think, i think it really captures the essence of what edward wants to say mm-hmm. in great detail what you meant for evil god meant it for good so there's almost this ordering they mean something and it counts and the decisions are real and they have implications but god meant their meaning to be used for his eternal purposes. So therefore, um, their decisions are real and they matter and they have far reaching implications. But at the same time, they acted freely. Mm-hmm. God never puppeted that. Mm-hmm. He meant for them to act, however, to achieve an eternal purpose. And at the same time, God acting freely, them acting freely, he sat sovereign over. That that sounds impossible to our broken minds. But what the Bible leaves me with is that's simply what happened, mm-hmm. right? And I think Jesus, in, in his encounter with Satan in the Gospels, you know, G, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Mm-hmm. And Satan comes and he quotes Psalm 91 to him verbatim. He doesn't misquote the Scriptures. He quotes them perfectly. The problem is he misapplies Psalm 91. If you just take Psalm 91 and don't apply God's perspective to it, it makes it sound like I can tempt fate. And that's exactly what Satan did to him. Just jump off. He'll bear you up. He'll send his angels to lift you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And the Lord told him, no, that's not what that meant. Mm-hmm. So the whole point of Psalm 91 is you can take it to that extreme as God's so sovereign, you can jump off the temple and he's got to rescue you. Or you can take... Jesus' perspective, which is, yes, he's that sovereign, but I am not to tempt fate. I have a responsibility to obey him. Mm. And I think the Lord himself taught us how to deal with those two extremes. God is completely sovereign, but I have a real responsibility to obey him. Mm. And I don't tempt fate in an extreme that's off base. I obey. I understand. And I apply the understanding of who God is to the situation and apply the scriptures appropriately. And there you find that sweet, I hate to say medium, Mm. But there's a sweet medium there of God is completely sovereign, but I have a real responsibility to obey him. And, the, and, the, and, and they play together marvelously. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, you behave every day as if everything depends on your decision. Yeah. But you rest in the joy and the comfort and the hope and the peace yeah. that it doesn't. That's right. Right. Work like an Arminian. Sleep like a Calvinist. <laughs> that's right. It's true. I mean, that's that's what we're here to do. I mean, I have to believe that God. I am Calvinist. Yeah. Um, I believe God chose me. Mm-hmm. And um, but I also I also believe that um, that somehow somehow there were things that I that I have inclinations that led me to Him in a way that um, that at the same time. Yeah, there's some responsibility in me for that. I mean, when I see Paul say things like, "Look, it's it, it wasn't you that did this; it was God that did this yeah. on your behalf. It wasn't your work, or your decision. It was God that, that called you." Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I just believe that it, it gives me great peace to know that. Right. Um, and it it instructs every 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 part of my life. Honestly. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really does have implications for everything. It does. It uh-huh. does. I would say the reason I'm sane today is is that I God rescued me with a robust view that He is working all things for my good, mm-hmm. all of them. Yeah. And were it not for that, if I couldn't go to Genesis fifty twenty as a anchor point, mm-hmm. I'd be insane. Yeah. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Yeah. And I have to hold on to there is good here for me. Yeah. No matter how it feels. Yeah. There's just there's great ultimate. Um, yeah, hope in that. That's right. So God sits sovereignly over the coronavirus. He sits sovereignly over man's conspiracy theories. He sits sovereignly over the governing of cities, counties, states, and nations. And he sits sovereignly over us and yet at the same time invites us into that walk with him. Mm-hmm. Blows my mind. Yeah. And so I would say as we close up this time, um, if people are listening and, and, and want to pay attention, I don't want them to miss this God. He's completely available, and He's available through faith in Christ. Mm. So that if they will repent, turn away from the fall, and simply believe in Him, that's mm. it. It's that simple. That they will receive all of the good of Christ's sacrifice for them, and He will take all of their guilt, make them His daughter, His son. And he will work for good for them mm-hmm. in all things. It's that simple. And so if they're listening to this, and if anybody's listening, and, and I want you to not miss the gospel. Mm, amen. If you get that, uh, everything we've done has been worth it. Keith, do you have any final words as we close up season one? It's just been an absolute joy to get here and, and sit across from you and have conversations with you. These are things that you and I have done for years. Yeah. And it is really cool to, to be able to do it intentionally now so that others can sort of hear us and then give us feedback on, yeah. on how to help. My great hope for my life is that I do something that matters for the kingdom. Yeah. I believe this is a, a, a venue in which the Lord has called us to do that. Absolutely. And so, man, I've just thoroughly enjoyed it. Thankful yeah. for everybody involved and thankful that somebody listens every now and then. Hopefully they get something <laughs> something valuable and yeah. um, eternally um, valuable out of it. Absolutely. Well, we'll be back uh, in January and uh, we're going to be coming at it again. And we're going to sit down and plan out our season two in the not too distant future. But we thank you guys for listening. It's been a joy uh, when we sat in a coffee shop and thought, man, we need to record our conversations mm. We just decided to jump, so we started. And each episode, we've gotten better. We've learned some sound things. We've mm-hmm. learned some recording things, and um, and we're getting better. And so we appreciate you guys who've hung in with us. And nearly 1,200 downloads 
um, which is pretty awesome. And so all over the world. So we trust that uh, God wants to continue to do good things Mm -hmm. with that. So Keith, it's been a joy and uh, look forward to next season, man. Guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Out. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions if you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces.